going to be the best option. And so I'm going to plug this in. So in the middle of it, it does not go dead on me. You got your Bibles open up to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. This morning we're going to continue in the message I started last week, the faith of Moses, the faith of Moses. And what we're going to do this morning is I want you, if you got your Bible, I want you to look at verse 23, and I want to read with you again this story and this account of the life of Moses from our text. It says in Hebrews 11, verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. If you look at this text, you see the phrase by faith four different times. You see it in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden. So we started out looking at by faith, Moses was hidden. The second phrase that you see is in verse 24. We see by faith, Moses refused. The third one that we're going to focus on this morning is found in verse 27. By faith, Moses left. By faith, Moses left. He left Egypt. The fourth one is seen in verse 28. By faith, he kept the Passover. This morning, we're going to focus primarily on verse 26. One of the things I love about God's word and that I'm very blessed with in preaching is that so many times you get into a text and you really wonder how in the world am I going to get one sermon out of this when you start studying it, and then you realize there's so much more there than you could have ever imagined. And this morning, we're going to see four characteristics of faith underneath this third by faith statement. So what are we going to look at is, look at verse 26. What are the characteristics of faith that we see actually in verse 27 when he says, by faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is uh, invisible. When we start with this text right here, as we look at by faith, he left. By faith, he left. I, I want to, you know, last time we were together, we looked at his birth and we looked at the circumstances surrounding all that was going on and some amazing providential works of God. You know, I, I love this because... Um, we often say things like, wow, that's really in it. That, there's the providence of God, but it shouldn't be that we see those examples 
as you know, every so often, but those examples remind us of God's providential hand over all of our lives when we don't even notice it. You see the difference? It's not just like, oh, every once in a while, God shows up with his providence. Those examples that become so clear to us remind us that God has our lives in his hands, and he's sovereign over us. He understands everything. He's wise according to the counsel of his will and the way that he ordains and he plans. And so when we look this morning at verse 27, it's important that we get a little bit of overview. And the first characteristics of faith that I want us to focus on this morning is that faith, it's a faith that acts in the midst of difficulty and opposition. It's a faith that acts in the midst of difficulty and opposition. And what we're going to be reminded of as we review the story of Moses, as we review starting back at the burning bush when he was in Midian, and we review some of the details of how God called Moses, we're going to be reminded that this specific example deals with opposition, not only from Pharaoh, but in the story of his life, who gave him a lot of fits? It was his own people, the children of Israel. We look at this, and I want us to review a little bit. Faith that acts in the midst of difficulty and opposition. So what do we see when we think about the life of Moses? The, what brought him to Midian? We saw this last time. In, in Exodus chapter 2, you remember the story. He saw the Hebrews, and he saw the Egyptian, and he killed someone. And he, in Exodus 2.14, he's in a dilemma he answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And he's calling Moses out. And what happens? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. So we got three segments of his life. We got zero to 40. We got zero to 40 in Egypt. We got 40 to 80 in Midian. We've got 80 to 120 back in 80, he goes back, and then we see the rest of the events of his life. So that's important to understand, because while he's in Midian, later on, way later on in that journey, what happens? God calls him at the burning bush. And I, can't, I don't have time to read every verse of every text that I've got here today, but I want to bring them on the screens just to give you an understanding of where I'm looking at. Exodus 3, 1 through 6, and when we look at this passage in verse 2, now Moses, let's see here, what did I do? And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he says, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. I love this because what did God reveal to him? In Exodus 3.10, come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So when we think about by faith Moses left, we have to understand why would he ever leave? 
And we have to see the call of God on his life. The burning bush was the place where God really made it clear to him his calling and what was to take place. Earlier on, before the burning bush, it re- we looked at another text where he recognized that God had raised him up for salvation purposes for his own people. God had delivered him. God had revealed that to him, that he would be a deliverer. But we see that the call is explicit here in the passage about the burning bush. And look at, in chapter 3, you'll remember these stories. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And here we see the revelation of the name of God. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Never forget that when we get to the New Testament, Jesus applies himself as the fulfillment. He he puts himself as the, he's equal, one in nature, one in substance with God the Father. And what do we see in the book of John? Seven statements that he is the, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. I am the shepherd. All of the statements that he gives show us that Jesus was very clear about who he was that Jesus clearly understood that he was one in nature, one in substance with the Father. So God reveals himself there in the burning bush, reveals the call of Moses, reveals his name. But what do we see here? In in Exodus 3.19, we begin to see the hesitancy. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. God was way ahead of Moses. He knew everything that he was going to face. And then it says, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. And we know from the story that they did not leave empty. But what did Moses do in chapter four, verse one? Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Aren't you comforted that in a passage where we look at the hall of faith, that these were people that God was working on and working in the process with them? Are you encouraged by that? Are you encouraged that a guy that is going to be in Hebrews 11, when God revealed himself in a burning bush, goes, "But, but, but they won't believe me. They won't listen to me. They will say, you didn't appear to me, but yet God is patient. And I'll tell you this morning, it's the patience of God. It's the kindness of God. We know as we read this text as Christians in 2022, we know that the kindness of God is revealed through Jesus Christ. And we'll see that even in the next verse, as we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover lamb, that he's the substitutionary sacrifice. He's the spotless, unblemished lamb that takes away the sins of the world. But I want you to see the heart of God. And I want you to see the kindness of God. And I want you to see that God is capable through the power of his grace to take people who would doubt what he says he will do. And he's capable of bringing them by his grace to a place of faith. You might be going through Hebrews 11 and you're like, man, I'm a bum. I'm a bum because everything I look at in my life, I see struggle after struggle after struggle. Put your eyes on Jesus and look to him. 
The book of Hebrews is not a book about your faithfulness. The book of Hebrews is a book about the supremacy of Jesus. And it's a book about people that through the power and the enablement of the new covenant, as they get their eyes on Jesus, through the Spirit's power, they are enabled to become people of faith. So this morning, if you find yourself unfaithful, look to Jesus. Gaze in his presence. Look at his word. And as you look at his word, as you look at the family album, it gives us encouragement. It gives us hope. You know, what did God tell him he would do in response to his doubt? He was going to give him signs. And what kind of signs were he going, going to give him? You know, we, I'm not going to read every passage here, but what happens? We see the, the serpent. He catches it by the tail. He put out his hand and caught it. It became a staff in his hand. And then what did God tell him to do? God told him to put his hand inside the cloak. He pulled it out of the cloak, and what took place? It was like leprosy, leprous like snow, it says. But then he put it back inside the cloak. He pulled it out again, and it was restored like the rest of his flesh. There was yet another sign that God gave, another sign that would demonstrate his power if the people doubted his call. It says in Verse 9, if they will not believe even those two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. I mean, that's a pretty radical, miraculous revelation that God has now given Moses, but what does he do? But Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And what do we see? We see the patience of God yet again. And what happened? We see in chapter 4, verse 27, the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Unbelievable scene. You get into chapter 5. And now, as they come to Pharaoh... Pharaoh is going to respond how? What does he do in chapter 5, verse 2? But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. And what does he do in response to this revelation that God has given Moses and now Aaron? What does he do? Does he make it easier trying to be on the good side of the God of Israel? Not on your life. In chapter 5, verse 7, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks. But the Pharaoh said, as in the past, let them go and gather straw for themselves. Moses has a lot of opposition. He's got opposition from the king of the land, from the Pharaoh, from a ruthless leader that could have him killed, a ruthless leader that could come after him. And yet what takes place? The foreman of the brick crew of the people of Israel in chapter 5, verse 15. Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? It's interesting. The foreman of the people of Israel, he's frustrated. Now look at chapter 5, verse 20. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. They said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh 
and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. I tell you, he's dealing with a lot of opposition from every angle. The people are broken. Chapter 6, verse 7, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Faith is revealed in the midst of opposition, in the midst of difficulty, when everything within your life seems to suggest that God has not been faithful to keep his promise, that's when you begin to see real faith work. I tell you, you may be with us today and you're thinking, you know what? I'm disillusioned with the things of God. If you knew my circumstances, if you knew my trials, there's no way I can trust in him. Yet what we see in Hebrews 11 is story after story after story when people are facing disillusionment with the details of their life. They are called to trust in the promises and the character and the power of God. And I tell you, what's encouraging is that God takes people that find themselves incapable of walking by faith and as a gift of his grace, he guides them along in their weakness that he may be glorified by his strength in them. You see, if it wasn't about that, then we could just simply elevate these heroes of faith. I think sometimes when we talk about Hebrews 11, we misunderstand the point. Some people talk about, oh, the heroes of faith. And we almost act as if these are just great people that happen to be spiritual people that had a lot more skill than we'll ever have in the Christian life. But this is not about their spiritual skill. This is not about their abilities. These are people who are simply humble and dependent, and these are people through whom, as vessels, God is glorified. Like, so again, if you're here today and you think you don't understand, you don't know how weak I am, you don't know how often I can read my Bible, go to a sermon, hear it, I can leave church encouraged, and the next moment I get into a circumstance and I find myself flat on my face. I find myself empty and broken and unable. Be encouraged. These people are examples of the faithfulness and the goodness and the grace of God who works through people who are unable, who works through people that are insufficient, who works through people for his glory. And I pray this morning we would see that God is calling us as we look at Moses, as we look at Abel, as we look at Enoch, as we look at Noah, as we look at Abraham and Sarah, as we look at, I'm, I'm trying to remember all these names, I know I'm having a hard time right now. <laughs> Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, as we look at all of them, what is he telling us? He's saying, look, just as I work through them, by my grace, I can work through you. People are broken. You know, as you get to the end of this passage, it speaks of their slavery, but then what happens? Moses and Aaron do the miracles in front of Pharaoh in chapter 7, verse 1 through 13. But what takes place as a result? All of this, all of this takes place, and then Pharaoh summons the wise men, the sorcerers, and the magicians, and they also do the same by their secret arts. All this takes place, but what happens near the end of chapter 7? The beginning of the 10 plagues. The beginning of the 10 plagues takes place. 
I want to try to pull something up here if I don't mess up everything, which is a good possibility. But one of the things that um, I was looking at earlier this morning, and I may not be able to get into it, and I'm going to hold off on it, is that every one of the plagues, every one of the plagues counteracted all of the gods of Egypt. And what happens is you see the Nile turn to blood, 7, 14 through 25. You see the plague of the frogs, the plague of the gnats, the plague of the flies, the plague of the livestock dying, the plague of the boils, the plague of hail, the plague of locusts, the plague of darkness, all the way up to what we'll see in the Passover. And what do we know in all of this is that by faith he fled. What have we been talking about when it comes to faith? It's more than knowledge. It's more than assent. It's, it's trust. It's dependence. It's obedience. By faith, he left Egypt. Now, the question is this. There's an interpretive question here. What time is it speaking of that he left Egypt? We know that he left Egypt twice. He left Egypt when he went to Midian, but I think the passage that I read to you earlier, I really believe this means that it's not this account because if we read in chapter two, verse 14, we looked at it earlier, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid. And the one thing that it specifically says in this passage in verse 27 is that Moses was not afraid. And so when we look at that text, and we look at Exodus 2.14, what appears to be taking place is the culmination of all the time that he's been brought back into the land of Egypt to announce to Pharaoh, let my people go. And now, as it's building and building and building, the arrogance, the defiance, the stubbornness, the rebellion of Pharaoh, what we see in verse 27 is that by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. You know, when we look at this, it's, it's fascinating because there was a lot to be discouraged by. You think, what would be the greatest temptation to fear? The greatest temptation to fear, you notice in verse 27, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He would not let them go. But then look at the next verse. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me, take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. I tell you, there, there's a lot there that humanly speaking, you could be tempted to be fearful over. I'm going to leave Egypt. Think about it. I mean, he's going to leave Egypt. He knows how prone the people of Israel are to complaint. He knows how prone the people of Israel are to disillusionment when things don't work out the way they want. And now he's going to leave Egypt. He knows he's got to leave, but at this point, he doesn't understand how he's going to leave. He's going to leave. God's going to take him to the Red Sea, and God's going to part the waters. All of this is going to take place. But what he does is he simply acts in faith in spite of all of the temptations for human fear. You see, when we mention fear in verse 27, it says, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. It's interesting because if you go back at the beginning of the story, starting in verse 23, you get into 
the child was beautiful. And what does it say in the last line of verse 23? And they were not afraid of the king's edict. It's fascinating, isn't it? You see it in verse 23. You see it in verse 27. And one of the things that you learn about the midwives, and I want you just to see this, and we're going to come back to this, because I wonder this morning how many people in this room are prone to fear. I wonder how many people right now, if you're honest, you would be like, I am gripped by fear within my life. I'm fearful of people. Maybe you're fearful of health. Maybe you're fearful of finances. You're fearful of the unknowns with your kids. You're fearful of the future. You're fearful of the roads this afternoon. I mean, it can go anywhere, can it? It can be, and I know from personal experience, fear and faith don't go together. You know, have you ever remembered back in college or, and uh, I mean, I had a lot of buddies and uh, not a lot of us dated. Imagine that. <laughs> You're probably like, well, I understand that. Uh, and, and my friends, and we're all hanging out. And, and then one day a guy meets a girl, and we're like, whoa, who is this girl you're talking to? We want to meet her. And we're here, all of a sudden, one of our buddies is not hanging out with us all the time. He's always talking to this girl, and we haven't met her yet. Well, then something comes up where he's bringing her to a social interaction, and we all meet her, and the first thing we're thinking of is, man, they don't go together at all. And we're looking at each other going, man, that's a horrible match. Terrible. This is disaster. Now think about it. You can look at human relationships and sometimes see that at a distance. These two people are not compatible. But please understand something this morning. Faith and fear are not compatible. You can't have faith and fear at the same time. Fear is in opposition to faith. Faith is in opposition to fear. And what I want you to see is notice the difference of what motivated these midwives. Because there's a real thing here that the king is going to kill anyone who will not basically kill those babies, those male babies in Egypt, Exodus 1.17, but, mid, but the midwives, they feared, but who did they fear? God. And did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. You go on four verses later in Exodus 1.21. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. I love this because you look at this passage and you begin to see that faith and fear are not compatible. And so what we have is, is that we see not only that faith that acts in the midst of of, of, of all kinds of difficulty, but we see faith that triumphs over fears. By faith, he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king. It's fascinating because by God's grace, faith enables us to look to God as the source of our strength and our hope and our power. And looking to him and fearing him enables us not to have to be gripped by human fears because we have a greater fear. I heard a man say, and I'm going to quote him later on, but if you're struggling and you're gripped with fear, what you actually need is a greater fear. 
You need a fear that will trump any of the fears you can come up with. You need a fear that will go much further. You need a reverential, holy fear of God that will enable you to see him as who he is and to see that he's far greater than any fear that you could ever imagine down here. He's not afraid of the king. I wanted to think a little bit about this faith triumphing over our fears. All through the Bible, we see that this faith is something that takes away fear. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Moses was comforted by the strength in the hand of God. In Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? We read that, and I I think if we're honest, there's been times in our life where we've been gripped by fear of other people, gripped by fear of individuals within our life and circumstances. But if we get our perspective on who God is and his power and his holiness, it changes things, doesn't it? Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. The passage that that we read this morning, that Andrew read, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. There's so many different things we could look at, just like the midwives feared God. You could do a study and you could go through all of these passages that speak about fearing God over and over and over. I was looking at a list of all the times they're mentioned in the Psalms, of all the times they're mentioned in Proverbs, over and over and over, it speaks about the fear of God changes the way we look at life. It changes everything. I love this, Hebrews 13, we're not there yet, but it says, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? Romans 8 says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I want to read you a quote by Paul Tripp. He says, the fear of the Lord is such a reverential all of God that grips your heart that you're willing to listen to his wisdom. You're willing to submit to his commands. You're willing to surrender your will to his will. You're willing to rest in the awesome promises of his grace. The fear of the Lord makes you run towards him, not away from him, causes you to live in a way you would not live apart from him. It's the fear of the Lord that caused David to walk into that valley of Elah and to challenge that great warrior, Goliath. It's the fear of the Lord that made Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego unafraid of the threats of Nebuchadnezzar. And it's the fear of the Lord that has propelled all of saints to live as soldiers of light in a darkened world. And we could add, it's the fear of the Lord that enabled Moses to flee Egypt, not worried about the threats of the king. You see, he goes on, Tripp says this, and I pray this helps you. How is it that grace operates? It produces a greater fear of God than fear of anything else in our lives that draws us to him in love and worship and surrender and confession and rest and hope and courage. And he says in a devotional, my prayer is that the fear of the Lord would be the dominant thing in our hearts, driving us to him and causing us to live in a way that brings glory to him. And the only way that we can experience the fear of the Lord is a gift of the grace of God. 
I love that. You're not able to produce. You're not able to work it up. You're not able to put yourself in a frenzy and start fearing God more. What you need is the grace of Jesus Christ to give you an understanding of who he is and an understanding of the fear and the holy awe of him that then once and and hopefully and Lord willing for all gives you a perspective that the fear of God trumps all other fears. What do you see? Not only that faith that acts in the midst of difficulty and opposition, a faith that triumphs over fears, but then what do we see in this verse? We see in verse 27, a faith that endures. And what does he say? By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, I want you to think of something. Let's not get lost in the woods here of Hebrews 11 and miss the context of the book. I know we've slowed down a lot, but I want you to remember something. What would this passage mean to people who were tempted to jump the boat and get out of Dodge? What does it mean? He's saying, hey, you guys, I love this. You know, those little things pop up, And uh, I got one that popped up on my phone of uh, Luke and Andrew and Abigail. They were about, Luke was probably seven. Andrew's five. Abigail's barely three. And she's still running the show in the driveway when that happened on that video. And, and, And there's wood in the driveway. And they're out there working on it. And they got hammers and nails. Isn't it cool? It's crazy. And it's seven years ago. It pops up. Eight years ago. You get these all the time, don't you? Twelve years ago. Well, it's as if you're sitting there and you're struggling and you get some of these Old Testament examples and it's like somebody says, hey, 3,000 years ago. And you look at it and what is it? It's Moses, but Moses is not just some distinct, external, faraway character. Moses is in the tree of faith. And you're reminded at that moment when you see that picture You're reminded that God enables his children in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of fear, in the midst of the possibility of being tempted to think, I'll never make it to the end. God intervenes and God produces faith and God drives his people to places they could never get on their own. That's the gospel. You see, if you make this about moralism, it's just about, hey, y'all need to be better people. You need to have more faith in God. You need to try harder. You need to be better. You need to do a better job than last time when you blew it, when you were walking in unbelief. That's not the gospel. The gospel is there was one who came to take our place. There was one who worked perfectly on our behalf. Where we failed miserably, he passed every test. The only man in history that fulfilled all the obligations of Psalm chapter one, how blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. The only man in history that did that perfectly was the Lord Jesus Christ. And he came to take our place. And now in our weakness, he's our strength. And in our trial, he's our endurance. And in our inability, he's our ability. And now the author of Hebrews is calling these precious Christians who are tempted to literally jump out of the way. And he's saying, look, you keep going. 
You keep going. Look at Moses. You see, Moses would have been the one that all of those that misunderstood the New Testament, all of those that misunderstood salvation by grace through faith, they would look at Moses as the, you know, the Mosaic law, the law of Moses. They would see him as the basis of their argument for their misconstrued conception of legalism. And yet, what does he do? He says, no, look at your father, Moses, because he's an example of the faith that God can provide in our lives. Amen? I tell you, it's sort of like, uh, I saw this uh, really cute video. This old lady, I, she's probably, I'm going to really exaggerate her age now that I said old lady. She was about 126. And, uh, <laughs> and she was on a, uh, she was outside and there was these people running a race and they were running and she was as cute as she could be. And she, she was giving a five to everybody that came by and everybody was endeared by her. They saw her and they thought it was, you could tell people were, go, people were running on the opposite side of the road. They, they come all the way over to give her a five. I mean, she was awesome. And it was like, you've ever been in that race. And even if you don't run and you're running a 5k for charity and you're like, man, I don't know why I did this. I'm tired after 300 yards. I can't do this. And there's people on the side going, you can do it. You can do it. And you just got to keep going. That's exactly the way we feel like sometimes in a Christian life, isn't it? You get knocked upside the head with news you didn't expect. Something takes place to someone you love. You lose somebody that you deeply care about. And you're looking at all of the promises of God and you're looking at all the details of life, and what do you need? You need someone desperately to come alongside you, to point you to Jesus, and to tell you to keep going and not quit. And he's calling these people. He's saying, look, I want you to go back. You're, they're Jewish people. And he's saying, look, let's go back to our forefathers. Let's go back to creation. Let's go all the way back. Let's look at who God has worked through. Let's look at our family tree. Let's look at our family line. And let's be reminded that this is a journey by faith. It is from beginning to end about faith. And praise be to God that it's the supremacy of Jesus that makes this possible. You know, all of this stuff that we're looking at, over and over and over and over and over through this. He's calling them to endure, calling them to endure, calling them to endure. You see this endurance throughout. It's an endurance where he's calling them not to quit, an endurance where he's stirring them up, consider, you know, stimulate one another to love and good deeds. The whole theme of what we've been looking at, remember Hebrews 3.12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Hebrews 3.14, for we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Hebrews 6.12, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And who are the people we're looking at in Hebrews 11? They are those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Hebrews 10.35, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. And what is he doing? He's saying, look, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Over and over 
and over. And we're going to get to Hebrews 12.1, and it's going to be fun, y'all. Look at 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. These are not just sweet opportunities to recall old Sunday school lessons. This is an appeal and a call. I want you to ask yourself right now, what's the most difficult thing you're facing right now? Think about it. If you had to get up on stage and there was like a lie detector test, that'd be awful, wouldn't it? And you had to, you had to share, what is your biggest rub with the text right now? Where is, the, where is the sticking point? Where is the place in your life where real faith is gonna be evidenced? Where you're facing a temptation of fear, you're facing a temptation to bolt. You're facing a temptation to run. What is that point? What is the issue? And what this is, is an appeal through the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, through his revealed word, calling you in this moment to walk by faith through the grace that Jesus Christ supplies. That's the call. The last one we see here this morning, though, is a faith that enables one to see a faith that enables one to see remember we talked about this is a belief in the promises you remember when god was calling moses he says and i notice the first three words and i promise promise that i will bring you up out of the affliction of egypt to the land of the canaanites the hittites the amorites the perizzites the hivites the jebusites a land flowing with milk and honey, a promise that he gave to Moses. By faith, he left Egypt. What is he doing? He's trusting in the promises, the character, and the power of God. And what do we learn about faith that started this whole section? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen and by God's grace, trusting in the character and the promises and the power of God, what is he experiencing? He's experiencing not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He had eyes to see what humanity, apart from the grace of God, could never see. He had spiritual eyes and able to see the reward enabled to see the future, enabled to see the invisible, enabled to trust God when it doesn't make sense, enabled to take on future realities and bring them in the present and live out of them, enabled to see with spiritual eyes that which would give him strength and power and endurance to keep running the race. So this morning we see by faith he left. Faith that acts in the midst of difficulty and opposition. Faith that triumphs over fear. Faith that endures. Faith that enables one to see. A song came to my mind that I felt like related to this as we close. It's the song you might be familiar with, uh, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know 
thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more. And I've got good news for you. I know the heart of the author of this song is precious and pure, but we need not pray for grace to trust him more because he's the God who gives abundant grace. He gives grace in Jesus Christ. He gives all spiritual blessings in Christ. It's a grace. You remember James? He gives a greater grace. We can pray for grace, but we can be encouraged that God answers those things that are according to his will. You may be here today praying for a new bass boat. I don't know if a new bass boat is the will of God for you, but I can guarantee you one thing, praying for more grace to trust him in the midst of difficulty. You can take it to the bank that it's according to the will of God, and he gives more grace, a grace that is grace upon grace upon grace. So today, church, as we close out, he gives a greater grace. He gives a greater grace. I tell you, what a wonderful Lord. What a wonderful Lord. He, he, he comes to act as our substitute. He dies in our place. He commands us to live out of what he has made us to be. But he gives us the grace in Jesus Christ and the enablement to follow the commands that he gives us. What a wonderful gospel. Friend, today you can trust him. You can trust him in your difficulty. If we run around the room today, I pray that we would empathize with one another and we would rejoice where we needed to rejoice and we would sorrow where people needed to sorrow. But I pray you would see that the common denominator, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the stories that you would share, the common denominator is this. Look to Jesus Look to Christ and keep walking by faith and trust him even when you're tempted, even when the human eye cannot see God. You trust him and through the eyes of faith, you keep going and walking along. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the hope of the gospel that you've given us. Oh God, I pray we would see the beauty of the new covenant and Lord, I thank you that you take people that weren't even looking for you. You take people that are in rebellion against you. And Lord, you, you, you use them for your glory. And God, I pray today that, that this passage would, would humble us. I pray, Lord, that we would see, I pray we'd have eyes to clearly see those realities that you're calling us to apply. I pray we would see the most difficult circumstance that we're facing. And I pray, Lord, we'd have wisdom to connect the dots to your appeal through your word this morning. Lord, thank you for your care and your love and your goodness and your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You stand with me.